Season one of this show is sponsored by FreshBooks, the number one invoicing software for freelancers and solopreneurs. If you're ready to take your side gig to the next level, you can't spend dozens of hours each week drafting invoices and chasing down late payments. With FreshBooks, you can send an invoice in less than 30 seconds. Plus, you can see when your client has opened their invoice and schedule automatic follow-up emails that trigger if they forget to pay. To try FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com slash side gig and enter side gig in the how did you hear about us section. Later in this episode, you'll hear about one FreshBooks customer who uses it to scale their small creative business. So stay tuned for that. Hey everybody, this is Preston and you are listening to SideGig. We're three independent entrepreneurs who have built successful side businesses all while working our standard nine to five desk job. Your hosts are Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan Robinson. I'm a content marketing consultant to the world's top experts and growing startups. I've helped companies like Creative Live and LinkedIn, experts like Tim Ferriss and Lewis Howes, grow their brands and create more influence online through content marketing. Ian. Hi, I'm Ian Paget, also known as Logo Geek. My website and blog generates hundreds of new leads each month. I've also leveraged social media to be seen as an influential designer, which has attracted exciting opportunities such as the judging of International Design Awards. My side gig has been so successful, I've now gone part-time freelance. And me, Preston. I took a blog I started as an experiment in college and turned it into a business that now makes more than I do at my desk job. This episode, the guys ask me all about how I started Milo, the company that produces this podcast. We cover how it started and what it's taken to grow while working a nine-to-five job and starting a family. Let's jump right in. Hey guys, this is Ryan here. Today we're going to be talking with Preston specifically about how he has built Milo into a profitable website on the side of having his day job. So let's get into it. Preston, I wanted to ask you, um, I've, I've known you for quite a while now, um, but something I'm really impressed by is how you were able to grow Milo up from basically zero to where it is now in a matter of just a couple of short years with an insane amount of traffic. You have a ton of contributors um, and you've really created a really cool brand for yourself in the freelancing space. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's surprising. We've, I think we've talked about this uh, before on, on the show on a different episode about how like overnight success really takes a lot longer than you maybe picture that it does. And I'd say the same thing has happened with Milo. I actually started Milo in 2009. We're recording in 2016. So it's been seven years in the making. But um, wow. But what I will say is, Ryan, the little bit that you've known me for the past couple of years, you're right, is where it really started to pick up. And I started to treat it more like a business than just a hobby or a, you know, a fun blog on the side or whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, in, in the last two years, we've we've rebranded the website used to be called graphicdesignblender.com it was made just for designers and now it um it serves freelancers solopreneurs small like independent entrepreneurs who are hoping to scale their business maybe build an agency that kind of thing um and it, it has been quite a bit of growth and quite a bit of a roller coaster over the last two maybe i'd say three three and a half years um but but it is interesting i actually started the site in clear back in 2009 now, what made you make the decision to to transition from Graphic Design Blender to something that's more top of the funnel? Yeah, really, really good question. It took a lot of, I guess, emotional strength or whatever to to consider that. I had built I had built this thing for for years, and 
now I was going to pivot and start building something completely different. But graphic design Blender started out of, I was in college when I started it. It was at the time I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer full time. And Mm -hmm. in the four or five years that I was running it, I realized I really enjoyed this content marketing thing. I really enjoyed just business as a whole, um, especially small business and entrepreneurship. And I've always had a knack for it. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about that in other episodes, but I've always had a knack for entrepreneurship, but I, but I sort of never realized how possible it was until, you know, the internet made it much easier until it was a lot more commonplace, I guess, for people to be starting businesses, I realized, okay, I, this thing that I've had a knack for, I can actually do. And so in that moment, I started thinking, and this was, you know, two years before we actually made the brand change. I started thinking, I'm actually more into the business side than the graphic design side or the design side in general. And so I, I'm better at talking about those kinds of things. I, you know, my voice resonates more with people in those ways. I have more connections in that space. And, and I just saw it as a more long-term thing that I could do, talking about business and freelancing and that kind of thing than talking just about design. And our content was sort of headed that way anyway. Like we had stopped talking about, you know, what, what makes a good logo or um, what colors should you use in design or mm-hmm. sort of the design practicality. We talked way more about clients and money and billing and building your business and just, you know, et cetera, et cetera, everything that goes along with freelancing and that kind of thing. So. Nice. I mean, one thing that I'm quite interested in, um, obviously you started this just out as a blog and it sounds like from day one you plan to um, monetize that. Could you just talk through um, how you actually went about doing that, you know, uh, the the way that you have been able to monetize it and how you've been able to build up those connections, find those people? Yeah, it's been quite a ride. We've tried quite a few different things. Milo originally, like you said, started as a blog. It's still primarily a blog. Uh, I remember the first day that I decided I was going to start a blog. I don't think it was even what this has eventually become, but I remember I talked to my dad and and I said, hey, guess what? If I just write things on the internet, people will pay money to put their ads next to the things that I'm writing. And he sort of laughed at me and rightfully so, you know, it's not exactly how it works, but it is a glimpse into sort of what I was picturing. Now, like I said, seven years later or something, Milo is completely funded and and um, our team and everything completely funded by sponsorships. But in the middle, um, we went from banner advertising to a mix of banners with affiliates to uh, releasing products, which were eBooks at the time to, um, to having, you know, mostly ads and maybe one sponsor to now we primarily have, we primarily use sponsors as a way to fund what we're doing at Mellow. That being said, the journey's not over. I don't envision it staying that way. I think next year we'll probably see some interesting products we're going to release. Um, looking about looking into maybe getting into SaaS or uh, or just exploring different things. You know, at one point I actually had a membership site that went fairly well. I'll link up in the show notes. I'll link a story about why I closed the membership site, even though it was profitable and growing. Um, so there's been lots of different business models along the way, but right now sponsorships seem to um, be the best fit for us at the at the moment. Nice. I mean, uh, while she was talking, you, you touched on something that I'm really interested in hearing about myself. Is um, you currently? I mean, obviously, you started this out on your own, but you're working with a whole team. And um, at the moment, I'm I'm just working on my own, and uh, eventually, with my own business, what I would like to do is start working with other people. Could you just talk through how you've gone about doing that? I mean, what 
what was it that, that pushed you to start working with other people and how have you been able to find these people? And it's, it sounds like almost a full-time job just to uh, manage that on its own. So could you just talk through how um, you found those people and, and how you're working with them on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a little context, the way our team is set up right now, I have three content managers who um, find new writers, work with writers, get content published on the website and make sure that our content calendar is staying full all, to, all the time, okay. that our, our quality of content is um, is high and, and all that kind of thing. So there's those three. And then I have someone um, helping manage a few things on social media. I have another person who we recently hired who... Um, whose entire job is to make sure that our sponsors are well taken care of, that they're happy, that they're getting what we promised them, that they're seeing the kinds of results that they want to see from the sponsorship. Mm -hmm. Um, Since that's a big piece of our success moving forward, I wanted to make sure there was someone dedicated to that. Then there are a couple other people who, a few other things, we have a a side project on the side project called the Freelance Report, Mm -hmm. someone who aggregates content there, makes commentary on it and shares it. Anyway, there's... um, there's quite a few people, but no one else is, or no one, I should say, because I guess I'm not even not not even full time. No one on the team is full time. So, are they, are they are these people friends, or have you actually gone out and and essentially gone to find them out like an employee, like uh, you were employing them for X number of hours a day, or do you have some kind of arrangement with them? So, one of them is a friend that I had um, that I actually worked with it in my in my office job, my desk job. The rest of them came, if memory serves correctly, came from the Milo audience. So if I can rewind clear back, you know, to the point where I was running the blog, I was running advertising, I was running everything all by myself. It got to the point where, and and this is, I think this is perfect for a show about running a side hustle because it got to the point where I only, I only had so many hours in the day that I was dedicating to this business, which was about two hours a day. And there were tasks that needed to be done that I couldn't do in that time period, no matter how hard I tried. One of those was writing enough content to publish on the blog a few times a week. I mean, just doing that alone took up a lot of time. And so I started by um, getting guest writers in who could who could add their voice to the mix. Then when there was enough of those going on and, and I realized I, had, I didn't have time then to manage those people, I hired a content manager who could manage a few writers. And then that just sort of snowballed. And every time, every time I find myself running out of time... <laughs> With those same two hours a day that I have to build the business, I end up having to hire someone to make up the, the time deficit that I have because this is a side gig. That is really interesting. How, Preston, then, do you determine exactly what you're going to outsource with your business? Is it sort of like an instant need satisfaction of like, this thing needs more attention, so that's where I need to hire help for? Or do you have some sort of approach or criteria that you use? So... A few things that are key questions to ask, I guess, are first of all, what metrics keep my business going? So since we're primarily a a blog or like a media-based business, I have to have content all the time. And so if I don't have time to produce that content, someone else needs to be producing it and we need to be publishing it on our website. So that's a no-brainer. I have to to find people who can produce content. And then, you know, for example, it got to the point where uh, sponsorships, which is our primary revenue model... I couldn't manage every sponsor uh, and all the requests that were coming in and also do sales on the sponsorships. And so I had to hire someone who could take care of the pieces of the business that keep the business going. 
I think what a lot of people do when they're when they start to grow too much is they just stop doing things that that are vital to their business, and that really hampers growth and holds people back. And so I've decided instead, it, it, you know, it, it's a hit. Like I don't get to pocket that money, but I my business gets to continue to grow with me putting in about the same hours every week. So that's the first criteria: is like what what are the pieces that my business needs to keep growing and growing despite me not having more and more hours of the day. And then the second thing also to be completely honest with you is just stuff that I get tired of doing. Like if I get burned out on writing, you know, I used to write three times a week on the blog Hmm. and um, it was just a lot. And I felt like I was running out of things to say and I wasn't publishing my best stuff. And so now I, I write once or twice a month and it feels much better. Um, Sometimes I'd like to do more, but Anyway, the point being, I, I, I was getting exhausted and burned out on certain tasks. And when that happens, I like to find someone who can do a better job than me at it. I love that. So you mentioned one thing that I know a lot of at least my readers ask me all the time is people sort of have this viewpoint that simply setting up a blog or a website, um, hosting a bunch of ads or using Google AdSense, that's kind of dead and gone as a business model. So um, a lot of people ask me specifically about sponsored posts and sponsored emails. It's one thing that I really admire about what you do over at Milo is how well you weave sponsored content into what you're currently working on. And then just the sheer volume of sponsors you're able to bring in. How do you go about sourcing sponsors? And then what does that like sort of negotiation process look like for you generally? To get really specific on the, the tactics of how I go about finding new sponsors, usually, to be completely honest with you, they're a cold email. And sometimes it's a cold email coming from the sponsor. You know, we're big enough now where our, our content gets shared enough that sometimes, or, or it's findable enough on, um, on Google that, you know, if someone's looking to advertise their new piece of software for time, time entry and time management, that kind of thing, time tracking, I guess I should say, and then they Google something and they land on our page. Then they go, oh, maybe there's a way we could promote our product on this website. They reach out to me and then I present them with sponsorship opportunities. But sometimes it's a cold email from me. And I use um, and I use a couple apps. I use one called Pocket. Uh, I think it's at getpocket.com. And I just, as I'm browsing the internet, just reading and learning and, and checking out, you know, apps and products and that kind of thing. Usually I'll just come across something that I think, Hey, this, you know, these people could potentially be a sponsor and, um, and I'll just mark them. And then every few weeks I'll go in and check the latest in my list. So pocket, just to give you a little context, pocket is an app that like stores websites, basically you bookmark, it's like a bookmarking app and you just store them in your pocket and then you can go back later and review them. So I just give them a little tag that says like 2016 sponsors. And then I go back and review that list later and I'll send an email series to them, which is very personal. It doesn't feel like a spammy email series, but it is all pre-built. Season one of SideGig is sponsored by FreshBooks. Lots of our readers and listeners use FreshBooks every day to manage their SideGig or growing business. Here's what Ian from ianvadas.com had to say about it. I've used FreshBooks for years to help with late payments. Their automated reminder emails are a great feature that give clients a nudge to pay up without having to have that uncomfortable money conversation. To join Ian and try FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com slash sidegig and enter sidegig in the how did you hear about us section. Support for sidegig also comes from Bluehost. With a one-click WordPress install, 24-7 customer support, 
and a money-back guarantee, Bluehost has just what you need to rest easy. When you only have a few hours each week to grow your side hustle, you don't have time for your site to go down. With Bluehost, you won't have to worry about that. Learn more and get a special discount when you visit sidegigshow.com slash bluehost. That's sidegigshow.com slash bluehost. And now, enjoy the rest of today's episode of Sidegig. So I use another piece of software called Text Expander. And um, I have these very friendly, um, soft pitch, cold emails written up. And I'll just go through each one of those things in pocket and, and pick the ones that I still believe are a good fit. I'll email them and, and um, the ones who respond, they'll continue. I have a whole series built in Text Expander. Uh, so to give a little bit of background on Text Expander, and again, we'll link all this up in the show notes, but um, Text Expander lets you type in like SPP. Uh, which stands for sponsor soft. I don't know what it stands for anymore. I just make up these weird acronyms, <laughs> but it's something like sponsor pitch. And so when I type SPP, it brings up a couple fields and I put in, you know, your name, Brian, as a person I'm pitching and the website. And then there's a space for me to put in some genuine feedback on the website. So, you know, it's not stale and not spammy. It's very friendly and very warm. Um, but that's how a lot of the sponsors are brought in is me reaching out to people and saying, Hey, we talked to 33,000 freelancers or solopreneurs via email. Um, and I noticed you're trying to reach them. Should we find a way to partner together? That's really cool. So you're basically automating that entire process. So um, you don't have to spend the time to do that. I mean, like you, you're essentially setting it all up and then pressing a button and leaving it to go. Uh, I, I love that type of thing. Um, I, I read a book called The Four Hour Work Week. I found from that you're basically doing a lot of the principles that are in that book. So you can do a lot of work in a very short period of time because you're working with so many people. Um, moving on from that, um, I understand that you do the bulk of your work on a train journey to work, which is about 45 minutes long. That's right, yeah. In terms of your daily routine, that 45 minutes a day, could you just briefly talk through what, what do you do each day for Milo? What's a da- what's your daily routine? Yeah, definitely. I it so it changes day to day as as you guys or anyone running a business knows. It's mm-hmm. sometimes hard to plan for what is coming, and especially where we're working with so many sponsors. I just literally just this month hired our sponsor success specialist, and so she's still learning the ropes a little bit, and so I'm still very involved in like making sure sponsors are happy, making sure everything we've promised them is happening as it should. So a lot of my time right now is dedicated to that. Um, Once it's not dedicated to that, what I'd like to do a little bit more of is, uh, is brand work and, and growth work. So like Ryan, you, you've been a big inspiration in, you know, reaching out to so many big publications, getting on podcasts and that kind of thing to promote your work. Um, That's going to be a huge part of Milo's growth plan in, in 2017. But right now, I you know I, I get on the train and some days I have assigned tasks that I've assigned to myself. Like for example, on Wednesdays, I review the editorial calendar for the next two weeks and I make sure that everything is lined up how we need it to be lined up, that things are publishing on the right days, uh, that there's a good mix. So like not all one week we have all the same kind of content. And so that's every Wednesday. That's what happens. And every Tuesday I try to write something 
whether it's for me or for someone else. And outside of that, it's answering emails for sponsors, pitching new sponsors, the work we do for this show, for example. We're organizing all of that, making uh, show notes. We're making outlines. There's just lots of little pieces that go into running what basically is a small media company where we're trying to publish as much content as we can. And that's the kind of work I do on a day-to-day basis. And that's all only in that 45 minutes a day? Or are you like um, using up any time like in, in the morning just before you, know, you head out or anything in the evening? Is it only whilst you're traveling to work? I've got three kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and a wife and, um, and they're amazing and wonderful. And I've set them as a priority in my life. And so in the morning I do family. Um, and so I don't, uh, usually sometimes I'll get up super early, but my daughter will usually beat me to it and she'll wake <laughs> me up. Uh, and, and I usually spend the morning with family. So work doesn't usually happen in time on the train. I will say, however, a lot of times on my lunch break, I'll take a lunch break or an extended lunch break and write a blog post or respond to some emails. For example, today it's the middle of the afternoon and I'm recording a podcast with you guys, but I always try to even it out. You know, um, I ate lunch at my desk today at my desk job so that I could come record an episode of the podcast. So there are other times, but it's mostly that train time. Sometimes at night, you know, after the kids are in bed, if my wife is doing something else, I'll spend some of that time working on the business, but usually I'm burned out by then. Um, having spent time with the family in the evening again, too. So it's usually, yeah, just the train time and then a couple pockets here or there throughout the day. I think it's amazing. It really goes to show what you can achieve with 45 minutes a day. I, um, I found personally, you know, with, with everything that I've been doing, I, I never planned to build what, what I have. Um, but, you know, with 30 minutes a day, each one of those steps really builds towards something. Um, I'm going to mention a book that I, I read a book called The, the One Thing, and that's um, really helped me um, set like long-term goals. And um, Preston, it sounds like you very much have like a long-term goal in there. Could you talk through a little bit about like your long-term plans, your long-term visions for Milo? Sure. I'm maybe not as good as I should be about long-term goals. I actually wrote a post on the website a couple of years ago about um, why it's foolish to plan more than about 90 days ahead. But then I realized there is sort of this bigger vision and, and drive that I have where I've always wanted to run my own business. I've always wanted to be more autonomous and more independent and have less commute. I mean, sure. I use my commute to build a business, but it's time away from my family. Um, and so I think Ultimately, those are the goals that I, I haven't maybe written them down, which I know don't lecture me on writing down goals, but I, but, <laughs> but these are like the long-term goals that I've always had, and they're just internalized at this point. More freedom, more time with my family, owning a business or an asset that, that can sustain me and sustain my family, and those kinds of things are what drive me day in and day out. So Preston, I know you have your routine right now dialed down like to an insane level. It's seriously impressive, um, especially considering how how good you've been at basically removing yourself from the blockers in your business. Um, do you remember at the beginning when you when you got started with what would have been graphic design blender, um, how much time you were putting in towards, say, like the first year, um, what kind of traction you got during that first year and like what activities sort of netted you the highest return back then? Sometimes it's really hard to remember, you know, you hear about the curse of knowledge and it's hard to know what it's hard to know what you didn't know. But I remember, I think to sort of dovetail this with Ian's previous question, 
my, my, the way I worked on my business or then my blog completely changed when all of a sudden I had these constraints where I had a 40 minute ride in and a 40 minute ride out mm-hmm. before I was at home all the time. I was finishing up college and, um, I was, I was at home a lot and I just like, I basically wasted my day on Twitter and trying to think of things to mm-hmm. write on the blog and just wasted a lot of time. And then I realized when I had this short amount of time, I could work on the thing that I loved so much. Then I really got focused on what I needed to work on. I think early on, uh, I focused a lot on um, user engagement, reader engagement. I would reach out to this. I mean, I still do this. I would reach out to people who would leave comments and just have a conversation with them. Hey, thank you so much. I loved your comment. What do you think about this? Um, I'd really worked on converting them to being fans. And frankly, it helped me know what direction to go. Um, I love that. You know, I still do that on Twitter a lot when people leave comments on Twitter about, uh, about our content. I, I personally go in and say like, Hey, thank you so much. What could we have done better? What could, what, you know, what did you like? What didn't you like? And it seems to really pay off. It it's very tedious work. I should, I, I don't know if that's the right word. I can totally relate with that because in, in my case, um, with Twitter, I get a lot of engagement and, and a lot of people comment about this, you know, like each tweet can get between 50 and a hundred plus. And the bulk of those people that are liking, retweeting, and, you know, just generally engaging, I've actually made the effort to stop and, you know, just send, send a message. So I think with this type of thing, like you said, it's tedious work, and it kind of feels like it's not really adding any value. But I think in the long term, that person, they're like, oh, that's my friend Preston. He wrote that. You know, you, you get more engagement rather than it being someone that you don't know oh yeah I know that guy so I think those tedious things I do think it's worth doing I agree before we were on air we were talking to Ryan a little bit about a course you're launching Ryan and you were talking about like you're going to have x number of subscribers on your list and I hope this percentage of people buys the course to make it worth the time that I put into it and I think I'll venture and we even said this before we went on air I said Ryan of course I mean of course it's going to work and the reason I I think and I'm almost positive it's going to work just fine for you is because I've seen how you engage with the people who are in your audience. Like it, you're very warm and you're very like relatable and you tell stories about you. And so people feel this connection to you. And that's what we try to do. I, I have, it's a little bit harder for me cause I'm a step removed. I have a brand instead of my own name as a personality, but you know, we changed our Twitter avatar to, um, to my face so that when people are interacting, they know that there's a human behind it. Little things like that I think can go a long way. And early on, in the early on days, for sure, it made a huge, huge impact. I like that. I, w- I would totally agree. Yeah, and, and there are people still reading the blog today that, that were reading in the early days, and we connected via email or whatever, and they're still here. That's amazing. That's something I, I take time out of every single day during my week, too. Always have email conversations going on with people, usually, gosh, dozens at a time. But it's, it, it's always worth it because, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Preston, is that every time I talk to someone who reads my blog, I learn something about myself, I learn something about them, and I learn something that my audience is really interested in. So it, it always fuels what I, what I could call content, but it's that genuine connection that leads to finding you know interesting blog post ideas or you know what, this topic would actually be really interesting to implement into a course. So I think it's always worth it. Yeah, it's so easy to create content 
when you've spoken to someone who's actually had a problem or a concern. And then you just write it as if you're writing a letter to them. I've even done that. I've, you know, someone will email me with a question or a concern and I'll email them back and then I'll take a lot of the content from that email and publish it as a blog post, you know, add a couple things here or there. It's just so easy to create the right kind of content when you're focusing on the people instead of on what your brand looks like or how fast your list is growing, you know, all important things, but not as important as the actual people that you're serving. Mm, I think by doing that, by getting to know, you know, people on a one-to-one basis, those people are more inclined to actually purchase your product when you bring it out as well. You know, because, um, you know, say when a friend writes a book, you might not even be interested in that book, but just because they're a friend, you want to support them. And I, I think um, with, with what all three of us are doing, by engaging on a one-to-one basis, it's like on, on a mass scale, you know, over time, that's going to turn into hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. If each one of those eventually buy, a, buy one of your products, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to succeed. So I think, you know, it's a good lesson, a good lesson for anyone out there um, to do a similar type of thing. I, I agree. I follow Gary Vaynerchuk and he always says, I want to guilt people into buying my book. Like he wants to provide so much value between book releases that so many people feel guilty that they have to buy his book because he's just given way <laughs> more value than, you know, $18 or whatever the book is going to cost. So I don't know, guilt isn't necessarily my favorite uh, emotion or whatever. I don't like to use it in sales, but I think the I think the principle is sound, which is always be giving more value on that one-to-one level. And then when the time comes that you need something back, people will be ready there to help you. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's definitely a common trend with everyone that uh, I seem to talk to um, as well in our space. So you know, one thing maybe to wrap this up a little bit, um, Preston, one thing I'm really curious about is what would you say has been your biggest failure or learning lesson, whatever you want to call it, with Milo? Oh, man, that's a really hard question. Um, so many failures, <laughs> so many lessons. Um, man, I think... Um, I think my biggest failure or, or I guess my biggest lesson that I was too stubborn to learn early on was to treat this thing I was calling a business like it was actually a business. So, you know, I was saying I had a side business and I was making like $75 a month on banner ads through buy, sell ads or something. Right. And in, in the moment that I said, no, this is a business, that, that forced me to hire someone to do some of the work I was doing so that I could be freed up to make a product, for example, and, and set a product for sale. Um, and then eventually to focus on getting more sponsors. I mean, there, there, there's just a huge difference between blogging and running a business. And I think it can be really easy for people to confuse the two and think, I'm starting a blog and the money will just come. And it doesn't. Uh, you have to have a business model behind it. And I think more people are figuring that out now, but I'd say, you know, five years ago, even people were really, really confused on that fact. So I'd say my biggest learning is treating your side business, uh, like an actual business. Look at the numbers every month in in terms of revenue, especially, I mean, a business is built to make money. And even if you don't want to be a millionaire, your business is still, it still exists to make money. Otherwise it's just a hobby. Mm, very true. I love that. I totally agree. 
Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Preston. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, Preston. Brilliant. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation. As always, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a second to give us an honest rating and review on iTunes. You can find a link to the show on iTunes at sidegigshow.com. You can also subscribe for updates, announcements, and new episodes by visiting sidegigshow.com. We'll also be doing a series of Q&A episodes all about building a successful side business. If you want your question answered on the air, visit sidegigshow.com. If you enjoyed the show, take a second and head over to sidegigshow.com and share with your friends. Show notes for this episode can be found at sidegigshow.com slash Preston. Hey everyone, Ryan here with a quick announcement. My brand new course, The Launch Formula, is now open for enrollment. It's designed to guide you through the process of starting and growing a profitable side business while you keep your day job. You can learn more about it on my website at ryrob.com slash launch. That's R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash launch.